Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The fastest way to create strife within your finances is to marry or partner with someone who has wildly different spending expectations than you do. Layer on considerable amounts of debt, either from student loans or credit cards, it can be a recipe for disaster. Mike and Lindsay Dillon may have been headed down this road, but then something changed. They changed their mindset and decided to partner together rather than blame one another for their differing financial management styles. Lindsay is a physician assistant while Mike is an associate professor. It's essential to understand their chosen career fields because student loan debt was a significant contributor to how they ended up with over $200,000 in debt. Rather than being paralyzed by the fear of not knowing or how to improve their financial situation, the couple decided to take the first step of figuring out their starting point. Second, they created a spending plan that they could both live with while paying off massive amounts of debt quickly. The couple shares intimate details about their struggles and triumphs when it comes to their own wealth management plan in hopes of being able to help other couples who may be in similar situations. Please enjoy my conversation with Lindsay and Mike Dillon. Before I get to what I really want to talk about and focus our conversation on, which is how you guys have managed to pay down tens of thousands of dollars of debt over the last few years, I think we need to start with a couple stories. And I think the first story is how all of us met. So we've been friends for a a long time. You guys have been clients of mine for a long time. But what's interesting that most people probably don't know is that we followed each other from multiple states. So we originally met back when we were living in Toledo together. God, was it like early 2000s? Around 2005 is when we were here because that's when we started school. Where were you going to grad school? So we met through a mutual friend and basically it all started in a Buffalo Wild Wings bar. But at the time when we were living in Toledo, Lindsay, you were in PA school still. And Mike, you were in speech pathology, correct? Yeah. So we'll get to the, the next story in a second on how we ended up in North Carolina together and then how we ended up back up North. But how did you guys end up picking the careers that you did? For me, it was definitely not exactly like a straightforward journey. I actually started out going into education. So my undergraduate degree is from Central Michigan, and it's in secondary education. So the original plan for me was high school, social studies, history teacher, maybe coaching soccer, and and that was kind of the path. And so when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I actually taught for a year in Flint at an alternative high school that was actually kind of a not-so-great part of town. So it was Eye-opening experience. (laughs) Eye-opening experience, for sure. Still a good experience. I learned a ton. And and kind of one of the takeaways there too was that I didn't know that I really wanted to be in the classroom and, and have that role, but I knew I still wanted to work with kids. And we had a lot of kids at that 
particular school that had undiagnosed learning disabilities and speech and language disorders. And so and I had to do a little bit of research on the fly to help them in the classroom. And so I learned a little bit more about speech. And my dad actually is a retired school administrator, and he had been a special ed director for a couple of districts in the Flint area. And so one of the things he told me was, you've always really liked English and language arts. Every year, it seems like we're hiring speech language pathologists. It seems like something you would like and be good at, and you could still be in the school environment just in a different way. And so that's when I started kind of researching that as a career and knowing that there would be good job security, very low unemployment, really decent, good wages, and I could still kind of be in that school environment. That was sort of how I ended up on that path. Okay. How about you, Lindsay? My undergrad was in athletic training. And so I worked at a physical therapy clinic for maybe a year. The plan was to go to grad school. I just wasn't entirely sure what for. So after doing some shadowing, I decided on PA just feeling like it was a little bit more exciting. There was a lot of options as far as like, do you want to do emergency medicine? Do you want to do surgery? So that was kind of how I got into PA school. From that standpoint, when you guys were looking into grad school for both you and Mike, do you guys realize like what the cost was going to be or nope. did? <laughs> nope, did not pay attention to that. I knew what the salary was going to be once I was a PA. So I was like, okay, that's good. I paid zero attention to how much school was going to cost and out of state tuitions. It was because we were living in Michigan. When we started. Yeah, yeah. when we started. We didn't really take that part into consideration. Well, and for me, I had to actually take a bunch of undergraduate coursework my first year living here. And so she started right in on grad school. I actually had all these prereqs, so I had a year of that. So I worked part time, but that basically zapped my savings with paying for my tuition for that year. I was very lucky that my first year of grad school was actually paid for. I got an assistantship. And so I had a stipend and then they also paid my tuition. So that part was taken care of. Well, so and paying for an engagement ring. And I bought it. Because we were engaged at the beginning of grad school. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask, you guys got married before. We got married in grad school. In yeah. grad school. That sounds crazy. It was the first year of grad school yeah. over the like fall break. It's insane. And then yeah. didn't take a honeymoon because we had go back to school. So we did a honeymoon over Christmas break, which that also falls into the debt category because we used student loans for that. So that would have been December of 05 or 06? 2007. Oh, 2007. See, I mean, this is what happens. The other thing I probably should mention is that you guys have three kids and we have our four, the triplets plus one, but your oldest, Grayson, was born, I think, a few weeks after the triplets were born in 2010, in December of 2010, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. That's yeah, right. he'll be 10 in a few days. <laughs> That's right. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it goes by fast. The days don't necessarily go by fast, but the years sure do. So looking back, if you would have realized like how much debt you guys were getting yourself into a college, would you have made a different decision? We would have done it differently, I think. I think we would have done things differently. I mean, I was fully guilty of like, if I wanted a new pair of shoes, I got a new pair of shoes. Living well, and, and I on think, a budget, but yeah. in any means. And I think like one of the things Lindsay mentioned was we looked ahead and said, okay, this is the money we're going to be making. Coming out of grad school, we're both looking at, okay, we're going to be making well into the we'll six okay. This is an investment. It'll be well worth it. And we both are very satisfied with the careers that we have, those decisions were great. But I do think, I mean, the way that we went up that, 
we could have probably stayed in state. We would have, we would have probably saved almost 50% of what we ended up paying and having to go in debt for. We could have been a little bit smarter with even where we lived, I think, too. We were probably more high-end than we needed to be just as grad students. We could have lived a little yeah. bit more, a little poor at that time and sort of looked at things, too. But I think a lot of it for us is we just sort of had this mentality. And certainly the people that are going to give you the student loans are willing to go down that path with you of, we'll just out earn this. We'll be fine. We'll be making so much well, money. Well, and our parents co-signed anything. And we had parents they that were, were co-signers. And I think the same thing it was enough that... They knew that this was going to be a good investment long term, but they didn't know what our personal. Their credit scores scores are beautiful now. True. Their credit scores are amazing. now they are. Yeah, now they are. <laughs> so, was there any kind of like difficult conversations like with your parents with them co-signing all these student loans for you guys? Not with mine. No, I know with Lindsay's folks, they hadn't gone to college, and so I think for them it was just kind of like, they, oh, this is how you do it. Yeah, and even for my folks, when they went to college, we're talking like. Well, like the 1970s. And so I've had conversations since with my dad and him saying like, I guess I didn't realize exactly, especially grad school. He said, I just, I didn't realize how much you guys were getting into there because for him, they took out some student loans when they were in school, but the tuition relative to what you were making, it was completely different. And so it was like a completely different game for him too. They saw like, Hey, this is going to be a good career move for him. He'll be good for it. And we haven't missed the payment or anything like that. But that's, I think, why they were like, okay, we're willing to do this. Just make sure you guys don't go overboard. And there just weren't a lot of questions because I feel like there was also a little bit of them not wanting to be so much in our business and wanting to let us be adults. And so I think there's a little conflict there too. So when you guys were going through the student loan process for grad school, was having a co-signer required? At least in the beginning, I think for me, I... It was like I had worked for a year, so I really didn't even qualify for federal student loans. I had to take out private loans. I had made too much the year before in my teaching gig to qualify, but I also didn't really have much of a credit score because I had only been out of school for, for that amount of time. And that first year out of school, I actually lived with my folks. So I wasn't paying utilities. I wasn't paying rent or doing anything like that. I really hadn't established a ton of credit in my own right. So in order to be able to do that, I had to have somebody co-sign. When you guys were going through the loan process, like every year you'd have to, I guess, re-up your loans. Was your hand ever shaking like when you, when you were signing those loan documents? Or was it just like, this is what's required for me to be able to get my degree, to be able to do what I ultimately want to do? I will tell you, I blindly just went for it. I didn't give it any thought. You probably gave it more thought than I did. Well, I think in the last year that I was in, because my second year of grad school then was not covered. The way our citizenships worked, it would cover your first year, but not your second. And so that second year, when I went to look at, oh my gosh, this is how much this is going to like, but again, so for me, I definitely think I had a little bit more pause than Lindsay did, but I think also too, I'm looking ahead and going, okay, here's what we're going to be making in like a year. We'll be able to just cut right into this. We'll be fine. And so I think to say like, I just kind of went ahead and did without any thought to it wouldn't really be accurate, but I definitely did not knowing what I know now. Well, it, I think that's a big part of it is we yeah. didn't know what we didn't know. And we didn't have somebody to say, hey, guys, this is going to bite you hard later. So our kids will have that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they will. From not only YouTube, but myself as well. So there you go. (laughs) Mike, your program, was it a two-year program for grad school for you? Yeah, it was. And so like I said, I did have to do a year of taking like prerequisite courses at the undergrad level. So I basically everything that an undergrad would do in their four years in as far as related to speech, I did in a year. So I had two pretty full semesters and then I worked part-time on 
campus as well. And then after that, it was a five semester program. Okay. And then how about PA school for you, Lindsay? Was that a two or a three year? Two and a half years. So the one thing that's interesting, Mike, about your role now is that you're, I forget your exact title, but assistant professor. Is that correct at University of Toledo? It's a big, long one, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm now a professor in the speech language pathology program at Toledo. So I'm kind of sitting on the other side of the desk from when I was a grad assistant. So my title is associate lecturer and clinic coordinator. And so I essentially run the clinical side of the program. I place students in clinical experiences, sort of like their hands-on kind of lab experiences. I teach both undergrad courses, and then I also manage a lot in the grad program at that grad level as well. So I'm right back there, right back where kind of all this started. So obviously you're talking to your students, well, all the time, I mean, pre-COVID, post-COVID, but how often do you talk to or do you get involved with your students talking to them about the debt load that they may be carrying, or do those conversations never come up? Not in any formal way. And part of that is it's one of those things that it's sort of a catch-22 in some ways in that obviously the university doesn't really want me dissuading students from paying tuition and being a part of the program. And so it's not anything where I'm out ahead of that and kind of, I don't know, almost like pre-warning. But I have had conversations with individual students and even sort of some of the group. And I'll have students asking me questions about I'm being told things like you really shouldn't be working in grad school and all this other stuff. And so when those things are happening, I'm very quick to kind of, if it prevents you from taking out a lot of loans, we can work around a work schedule. So there's things that we do and that I'm able to do on an individual basis when I know there's a student that's struggling or if I know there's a student the loan costs and not worry about it. I definitely have had times where I've shared my story and said, you know, I thought the same thing. And my 30-year-old self talking to my 21-year-old self, that would be a really heated conversation. And so there are definitely times where I've kind of offered that advice that it will be a little bit tough right now. But if you look four or five years ahead and you're saving yourself $10,000, $20,000 in loan payments, it'll be worth it to have that kind of short-term pain for now looking ahead. And I definitely have done those things. I've definitely had some difficult conversations and some students are kind of heed that advice and go that way. And usually they're the ones that will come back and say, Hey, I'm really glad that you mentioned that that did suck during the time, but I'm feeling like I look back and I think like that was a good decision. I have others that are kind of like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't think I can handle it mentally, physically, whatever it is. And they just kind of go another route, but it's difficult. And I do see myself a lot of times kind of staring back at across that desk at me. And so I try to kind of pass those things on as much as we can. But I think you're also kind of fighting the student loan servicers are all too happy to lend that money. And they're not going to tell students anything different. So you both hear things kind of like students are saying, well, I talked to the loan counselor and they said, it'll be fine. I'm in a great field. All the things that Lindsay and I kind of told ourselves too. And so you're sort of fighting that current a little bit as well. To kind of, Fast forward, actually, the next chronological step is to kind of swing back to the second story of our relationship. And so we met in Toledo through mutual friends. And then somehow these mutual friends of ours all ended up moving to North Carolina, which ironically is where I wanted to move back to. We were all living in Toledo. (laughs) I'd lived in Carolina before. I had family and friends down there. And so you guys finish your grad programs and then how did you guys end up in Carolina? We kind of knew if we didn't move away, then we weren't going to do it. It wasn't as far away as Florida. <laughs> it was still warmer than Michigan. So that's kind of how we got down there. 
I interviewed at Moses Cone and for their emergency department. And it was an offer for the most money I had ever seen. So I was like, let's do this. Let's go. I mean, it was great. It was. It was a great job. I enjoyed it. Learned a ton. So your job you were the first one to land the job down in, when I say Carolina, I'm, I'm talking North Carolina for our audience, and specifically in the Raleigh, High Point, Greensboro, Winston-Salem area. So you landed the first job down there before Mike landed his? Yeah. So I was actually, so she graduated. How long was I down there before you? Uh, you graduated in like December, and I think we moved you in March. It was like my spring yeah. break of my final semester. Yeah. Our fathers, the good sports that they are, moved a again. bunch of our we stuff. again. And a new dog and all this other stuff down to, to Carolina. I went back up and then I had just a couple more months of school to finish out. So I was in our apartment in Toledo, living on a mattress and a little entertainment center and a couple plates. And so it looked much more sad than it was and finished out those last couple months. And then the other thing I was doing when we were moving Lindsay in that spring break week for me, as I kind of lined up a bunch of interviews while I was there too. So it was sort of a two birds with one stone thing. And both of those interviews, I had an offer like the next day with the two companies that I really kind of zeroed in on and had a contract signed, I think maybe by the next week and was ready to roll. So I ended up coming down, would have been like early May once I had finished and graduated, drove my Chevy Cavalier down. and with my mom? With, you with, with my mom? No, I did not. It was, that was just me. Oh. I did take I your mom down wrote, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Like, Great road trip. I was going to say, that'd be a fun trip. That's still, <laughs> we bonded. Yeah, we bonded. That's still about a 10-hour drive. Yes, I remember that. I was just talking to Teresa last night about that. We were watching a movie and this guy had to pull like an all-nighter to drive like 10 hours. I'm like, oh man, I remember having to do that a oh, few times. Drive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So all of us are in North Carolina. Little benounce to you guys that I had my corporate career going at the time, but then in, I was starting TAMA, the wealth planning or family office firm on the side. And I don't know what exactly sparked the conversation. Maybe we were a few bottles into some beers or wine or something. And (laughs) somehow we got talking about wealth planning and all that. And somehow the topic of debt came up. And I don't know if it was you, Mike, or you, Lindsay, that started talking about all this student loan debt that you guys had. So that time frame was that like kind of the first time you guys realized oh crap, we got a ton of student loans. Like, How are we going to do this? Yes, because six months after graduation is when you have to start paying it. That's when you start getting the, uh-oh, here's your, here's your bills. Here's what you owe us. And so that was the wake up. Like, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. And then that's where you look at it and you say, huh, so I'm earning this. But when I start to say, well, now I'm, I got to pay rent. I got to pay utilities. I have this massive monthly payment. And we refinanced and consolidated and did all the things that they tell you to do. But we just, we had a massive amount of back. And so when you're doing that, and then you're looking at, well, now we want to buy a new car because we've got this baby on the way and we want a little bit bigger apartment because we want to have some space for people to come down and visit us. And that's when it really was kind of like a, right. oh crap moment. Well, and at the beginning, we never missed a payment, but we weren't diligent about like really attacking it and throwing all this money at it. We were making the minimum payments. So we were essentially making like you were doing nothing, you know, because I mean, all of it with the interest and everything, you're just not getting into trouble, I would say, but you're not making any headway on it. You're just kind of, it took years before we finally really like dedicated. From a ballpark figure standpoint, Mike, how much did you end up with in student loan debt? And Lindsay, how much did you end up with at the end of the day with student loan debt? You can answer. 
because I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you can answer all that. Well, it's interesting too, as even as you're asking the question, it's like I can feel like my blood pressure going up just thinking about all that. that was so nasty. if I'm ballparking it, I can give you kind of ours together. And that was, you're looking at over $200,000 with us put together between undergraduate and graduate for me and then graduate for Louisiana and program. And keep in mind too, we're out of state and their grad programs and her program especially is very high tuition expensive program just in general. So that's the number what most people would have as a mortgage. We already had that with no house. And you haven't included the credit card debt. Yeah. And there were, of course, our attitudes about I'm getting to that, Lindsay. student loan debt really were not all that different from credit card stuff. So when you mix that in there and a couple of car loans and we racked it up. We were still not living where we should have been living, basically. So if I kind of peel back the layer on your financial relationship together, like husband and wife, typically what I see in these situations is one spouse is more of the spender and one spouse is more of the saver. Does that kind of fit the bill for the two of you? And if so, which one's which? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because it's kind of, I think it's sort of evolved a little bit in the it fact is. that in general, like right now, yes, yeah, we both have a little bit of both. And I think for me, I was much more the spender when we first met you and kind of out of school. And part of it was, it almost seemed like play money. It doesn't seem like it's, you just have these loans coming in. You know, I was working all the time. I didn't have time to spend. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We rarely ever saw. That was really both of us. I know. I would get really pissed. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) But I'm like, oh, we're just going to have drinks by the poolside. Is that what you guys always said? We'll be poolside. Yeah. Shut up. Well, and and, and so, you know, and then Lindsay would be, she was working all these really weird kind of crazy shifts. Yeah, because it was she shift was, work. She yeah. was a rookie and kind of bottom of the totem pole. So you're not choosing your hours. You're not getting the ideal. And so when that's going on, any excuse for us to be like, we'll just do Chick-fil-A tonight. Or, Let's just go out instead of cooking and doing those things. So like you said, it was, we saw the money we were making and thinking like, oh, this is perfectly fine. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. And the loans are kind of off to the side. So we sort of kind of got in those habits. And then I would say probably if you look at both of us, like our natural inclination, like as we started doing this, I'm probably a little bit more of the saver. Lindsay's is a little bit more of the spender. So if you yeah. look at kind of that balance, I look at those things a little bit more, but really both of us have kind of gotten no. much more so saver. Yeah. I think once there's goals set, it helps. And I think that's what I really wanted to isolate and point out for you guys and give our audience that's listening to this a good angle is that you don't stay static. You can change over time, whether maybe you were the saver and then you transition to the spender or you're the spender and then you transition to saver. Like I've seen that evolution with you. I've seen it with a few of my other families as well that had to tackle huge debt scenarios. And so it's always interesting how our personalities and our ideas evolve around money as we continue to get older from our 20s and 30s and 40s because they can evolve. And for some people, they have to, because if not, it's going to be a really, really long road. I think we were just saying this has been, there's COVID and everything else going on, but financially, this has been our least stressful Christmas. There's been yeah. no credit card. Well, and, and that's the thing I mean, too. Yeah. Had this hit five years ago for us, we yeah. would have been freaking out. Yeah. Been- when we compare things, we're like, or like there's a car issue. It's unexpected and you got to pay for it. That's okay. That's all right. We got it's fine. It'll be covered. We'll take care of it and move on. Not an issue now. And, and that took, well, that, that it was, took time yeah. to get there for and, sure. And, and the other thing I think too, is that you have to do all this as a team. And I think initially, like 
I didn't really approach it very well with, with Lindsay. And it was, I was kind of the first one to really looking at our finances. At, at I had initially. a separate credit card that you couldn't see. <laughs> yeah. So it was having, a problem. Yeah, having that dynamic, you know, that, that not unusual to hear that. We set ourselves up to succeed together. And it was kind of like, oh, like it, <laughs> well, it was so bad. Yeah. In theory, this should work great. And so then when I, I <laughs> genius oh approach gosh. was to go to my pregnant wife, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to show you it was like my approach to it. And that, as you can imagine, did Didn't go not off. go well. No. And so as new husbands, we don't always make the best decisions or even as long married mature husbands. husbands. I don't know if we <laughs> make the best decisions. That was definitely one of those things too, that like when the approach changed and it was in an, I wasn't coming across as an a-hole, then it was like, we're going to do this together. And it was more of a we yeah. thing than a, you did this and I will do this. And, Once you know. you're on a team and there's goals and everything is just clean out in the open, nobody's going to get in trouble for anything. Yeah. So it's a different so, mentality. Yeah. Nobody's leaving. You're hitting everything on the head. Like when I see couples come together like that, you can do amazing things. And we're going to get into some of the numbers that I think are amazing with you, you guys. But I think the longer that you maybe stay apart, the longer it takes that I've seen, and I've been doing this for a long time now and worked with a lot of different families and different situations, the longer it can take. So the quicker that you can get on the same page, and it's not just about the financial. I think you guys kind of hit on it too. It's really the biggest win is the emotional feeling that you get from working together and feeling like, oh, I'd agree. I've got a partner with us. I'm my partner's partner. She's my partner, vice versa. And having that, sometimes it's hard to put in the words and it gets pretty emotional for couples that go from all this debt to like coming up with a plan and really sticking to it and having like actual steps they're taking to achieve what they want to do. It's the most rewarding thing that I see in working with families. Lindsay, you mentioned something and other families have mentioned this during COVID. While COVID has hit, I think people very disproportionately, obviously. Some people have done actually pretty well during the pandemic financially. Other people obviously have struggled a lot. A handful of my families have mentioned to me like during COVID, like, oh my gosh, we actually see money in our checking and savings account every month. Where's this money coming from? And it's because you're just not going out to spend. I mean, we're not going on vacation. We're not traveling. So I've heard that from other families. And it's interesting to see, okay, as the world gets back to normal, whatever that normal looks like, whenever that normal starts to happen, how much of what we've established over this last year is structural versus us going back to our old ways or our old habits and spending maybe a little bit more loosely. Well, and for us, like daycare, oh my gosh, our youngest is in daycare still. And so there's been over the summer, she wasn't in it. So that was several months that we didn't have to pay for daycare. Oh, was a huge savings. So yeah, that was awesome. But you know what we keep reminding ourselves is that we've really gotten better about all the saving and we've kind of put ourselves, I mean, yes, all this other stuff is happening that we don't have control over, but we've put ourselves in a position to be able to win with all of these extra things that are happening. So that's been exciting to see. Whereas before it's like, oh, we have this extra money. We're going to use this to plug a hole. Now it's like, it's, we're using this to just sort of jump ahead. We've been able to refinance the house and we're getting, Lindsay had like a vacation hours payout just from unused hours. And we use that and put that in with the old mentality. It would have been like, Hey, we've got this extra money. Let's try to book a trip for when this is all over. Or, Hey, let's get a new TV because we're at home or watching movies and things. And so 
I think that was part of it too, is that really wasn't even thought. It was like, as soon as we saw this was happening, I get a text from Lindsay. She's like, Hey, we're going to have this extra little bit on this next paycheck. Perfect. That'll let us knock this loan out like a month or two early. And our mentality back in those North Carolina days was, Hey, this is cool. Let's go to the outer banks for the weekend. And it was just a completely different mindset in that way. And so that's where it has been. I think for us, we've had that conversation that, Hey, when things do get quote unquote back to normal, this is kind of a pretty normal for us really is just really what we've been doing. And if anything, it's just made it less tempting because there's been less to kind of get in the way. I do Um, think it's important to say that we haven't been miserable throughout this whole thing. Like we haven't been like so strict that we aren't allowing ourselves to go out or to have a vacation because we still have. I mean, I think it's been easier to do it because the vacations don't feel like you're constantly looking at your bank account, like, uh oh, can we spend money on this meal or whatever? The vacations are better because it's not a strain financially. So that gets rid of tension, that gets rid of stress, and you can actually enjoy your vacation. So that's been great too. This story like sometimes comes up. We took a trip to Disney oh and we did gosh. this on this. This was back when I was like, hey, here's the amount of money we're going to spend. Well, and tell them how we got the vacation money for Disney. So her grandfather unfortunately passed away and left her an inheritance. And so we actually were very proud of ourselves because we took a great deal of that money. Yeah. We paid off her Jeep. We paid off a loan. All these things that we're like, you know, he would be really happy to see that we're doing this. And But my parents <laughs> were well, not great savers. No. And Lindsay's dad. This is his father. And he said, and I remember holding his head and said, you guys are doing really great things with this money. And he would be really proud of you guys for doing that. But he also would want you to use some of that money to just go do something fun, do something as a family and whatever. And so we took this trip to Disney, but you know, we, so we had this set some of money and then the, everything else, this is when we were kind of like, in okay, we're super new. And again, I was like this authoritarian approach to everything. So fast forward to we're there at Disney, we're in this diner or something doing this breakfast that Lindsay had booked with all these Disney characters and Grayson's sitting there drinking his Sprite and loving life. And like we get the bill for this breakfast and it's ridiculously like so ridiculous. Anyone who's been to Disney knows. Thanks Um, Walt. So terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You can look at that and go, oh man, that's no wonder this place continues to make money. But for us, it was like, oh my gosh, this is $75 more than we were going to spend. And it was like earth shattering. I'm so, like in tears in so, the Disney restaurant because he's oh angry and I'm in tears. It was awful. It was Paul, it was terrible. My gosh. It was terrible. And, but, it was terrible. and now that's sort of like this, we look back at that and I still am more like, I'll look at the, I've got my little spreadsheet and I'm nerding out on this stuff. And I'll be like, hey, we did this and we saved this much for this trip or whatever. And I'm always the numbers of the great and then Lindsay's always kind of like the numbers are awesome but she's the one that always puts like that more emotional stamp on it like she's like now we'll be sitting on the beach or we'll be sitting wherever and we won't have a care in the world we'll just hang out have fun with the kids and not worry about it and so I get that too but I think like I'm more so like I'm looking at these numbers and seeing these things and, and Lindsay sees the numbers and like puts that other spin to it and says here's at Disney that was awful <laughs> So of course, like she's and I was pregnant. <gasps> I was pregnant with Isla then. I was pregnant with our third kid. So you know that didn't help. Oh man! <laughs> so my history. I forgot about that. I'm coming through in this thing, looking like a complete, a complete jerk. And I, you know, like at the time too, I'm feeling. I'm like, you know, what kind of husband am I? Like, we're here, and here's my wife like I'll breaking down, and this should be cool. Like, you kind of feel like a big failure there, and and so. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah. So you know, no more of that now. Yeah. We're- we're done with that. Yeah. Not living like that. 
there's a lot to unpack there. I want to come back to this point is we talked about how emotionally, how you feel about money has changed. And obviously that story that you just described about the Disney experience. And I totally forgot, Lindsay, you were pregnant with Eileen at the time. I'm like, oh my gosh. Is oh my that gosh. <laughs> your mindset. And so I think that's the key. But to give some things some context, the question I really want to ask, which is what everybody's going to want to know from this conversation is how you did it. Like, how did you do it? But before I let you guys answer that question, let's put some context around this. So earlier in our conversation, Mike, you threw out the number, the student loan debt, I know was well north of 200,000. And then you throw on credit card debt that you guys had on top of that and was maybe around what, 250? Is that, I'm trying to think of back some earlier numbers and our relationship goes back about 10 years now because that's how old our kids are. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's such a mixture. I mean, like at one point we were, we financed a swing set at one. I mean, it was like just stupid things like that. So like, I think if you took the credit card stuff and you took consumer and kind of put all those together, that's probably about right. I mean, what your quote is about, right? So one of the things I did do, Paul, is knowing that we're going to kind of talk about some of the stuff I actually wrote down, like beginning of 2017 and 2016, I was like, we put all this stuff in a spreadsheet. And like I said, I was kind of nerding out with all this. And so I still have this spreadsheet now, but I have all these different tabs from different Here's where we were in January of whatever year. So the furthest I can go back where I have like a good solid number was like January of 17. And our number in total loans, all this other stuff too, was $200,725.63. And what we'll have probably in a couple of weeks here is, or actually just one week now when we turn to January 21, that number is going to be like just short of like 95,000. We had 11 different deaths in 17. We have three left. And so going from there to here, it's been kind of crazy. And then like we have these and we almost made like a hit list. So I know like Dave Ramsey talks about having kind of this snowball method of here are all the debts and that part sucks because you're unpeeling that. This is what we're looking at. And then you sort of kind of have this hit list and each month I'm updating that and saying, okay, we knocked this and here's what our number was. Here's what our number is now. And we can kind of keep both looking at that and saying like, this is how this is shrinking. And we've just sort of done it that way. Like it's been like one thing at a time. Let's crush this one. Once this one's done, what's next on the hit list? And let's go after that one. And it's been a gradual, long process, but it's like when you're in it, it seems like it's taking a long time. But then you look back to the end of year, like, oh my God, look what we did. This was crazy. And it really wasn't as look at the spreadsheet. I I don't he's a way bigger um, I don't look at that stuff, but I can feel it. Because when you're just, you're like, oh, I need a new pair of running shoes or whatever. You can feel like, yeah, there's no tension around buying these running shoes. There's no like judgy looks or whatever that I'm getting. It's okay. We've got the numbers on the table finally. You went from over 200,000 to under 100,000. So the question is, how did you do it? What were the like one or two things that changed that help propel you to go from that level of debt over 200,000 down to under that in a matter of years? A lot of it started with just having to be brutally honest with ourselves and kind of own it. I like remember this very vividly and I'm sitting at our island in our kitchen and I'm, it's like late at night and I'm like, you know what? I just need to know. Like, Because even to that point, we didn't know what our exact numbers were. 
and a lot of it was because like what we were we spending it on? Yeah, Where yeah. specifically and, the items? And, like, and a lot of it was we didn't want it. Like, it's like avoidance. I knew this was going to be yeah. bad. It was like you just put it off and put it off and put it off. And so finally, it was we were just to the point where it was like kind of sick and tired of it all. So went and did that, and that was very painful to go through and be like, we spent this much on fast food, and we spent this much here, and we have this much and this on this credit card, and we have. I mean, just so a lot of it was but starting out there and saying. I need to know everything. Like what are all of our debts in detail? And then I look back at like our last 12 months and it, it was a little bit tedious, but then we actually had it out on paper. Like, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're where we are. Cause we're spending this much and we're only bringing in this much. And then we keep telling ourselves, Hey, the next month is the month we'll catch back up. We overspent this month, so we'll underspend next month. And then you never do that. And so we looked at kind of those spending patterns and said, okay, what are things that we like realistically can do? to start netting money. Well, honestly, I think you categorized everything. Yeah, and so, so we categorized everything and then laid out a budget based on those categories. And then the goal, I mean, we had to stick to that. And again, part of it was having all those raw numbers out there. So we knew like, yeah. this is exactly what is happening. Not just like, we feel like we're maybe spending too much on this or whatever, but I could actually sit down and say, okay, Lens, this is what these numbers look like. And us kind of both owning that and saying, okay, this is what we are doing together. We decided together to go to this restaurant when we really could have just cooked. Or we decided to way overspend on a gift for our two-year-old who's not going to remember this gift or realize even what this is. Or Disney. Um, or Disney. And so that's kind of where it started was looking at those things and then together making these decisions and saying, okay, what can we just get rid of that we don't need? And so like magazine subscriptions, cable, different things like that. And then figuring out, okay, what can we just do completely without and what can we do a little bit differently so that we're still enjoying ourselves, but we're maybe not doing that in a way that's negatively impacting our ability to get ahead. And that was a lot of it is, in the end, it's basic math. We have to get to the point where we're netting money at the end of the month. And then that money can go towards hit list and getting rid of, okay, here's the smallest that we have. Let's cross that in a couple months. And then you kind of move on and snowball from there. But until we did that and had that really brutally honest look into what we were doing, we were going to go nowhere or we'd stop and start. Yeah. And so once we did that, that was like the whole turning of the tide. And then it was, we had better months than others. We still had to have like some difficult kinds of conversations and things like that, but we were pulling in the same direction and, and we actually knew what we were doing and, and you know, had a real blueprint rather than just. Yeah. Kind I of think going, dissecting it and looking yeah, at specifics yeah. was a big deal. Yeah. So just, I don't know, I guess kind of ripping off the bandaid, but it's almost more tedious than that. I think that starting point, so step number one was you guys figuring out like where we're at. And I think in the 20 plus years that I've been working with families now is that is always the hardest part is to just figure out where you're at. Because in the back of your mind, you know, it's probably not good. It's probably not the position that we want to be in, but it's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know. And there's that fear and then that anxiety, like just talking to you guys about this again, I feel it. And I can sometimes when I'm looking at you, Lindsay, I could see it in your face too, is that you just, you don't know. And so it stops a lot of people right there dead in their tracks where they are so paralyzed by the fear and the anxiety and the emotional toll it takes that they're afraid to take that next step. But somehow you guys managed to blow through that. So you started and then 
Walk me through the conversation. How was that conversation between the two of you when you had it on paper and you realized, okay, we could go one of two paths. We could keep going down the dark side, if you will, of what we've been doing, making minimum payments and not getting ahead of where we want to go, or we can change our lives. And I think everybody's looking for that silver bullet and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist with Teresa and I. We still have the same conversations and arguments and fights about money. And I think one of the keys, and I'll let you guys explain your conversation, but is it takes time. And you mentioned this multiple times, Lindsay and Mike, it takes time. I'll let you guys answer that and talk through that conversation you had. Mike said he had dissected it all out and here are areas that where all the money was going. And, but it wasn't a huge like confrontational conversation because we both knew we were in trouble. It wasn't a shock that way. We knew it was bad to know quite how bad, but we were both in agreement that we wanted to not live like that and be that level of stress and kind of unhappy with where things were. So it was really more of planning strategy. We were both on board with like getting out of this and fear is a huge motivator. So yeah, we were scared that what are we going to do? Neither one of us are going to go to our parents for money. We just got to figure this out. So the talk was, okay, let's put a plan in place. Mike's the numbers guy. So let him tell me the plan. And that's part of it too, is like, I obviously had learned my lesson of not approaching this in a whole, I know. Right. And he wasn't being me. So that was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And and that was the thing. This wasn't. Maybe you want to talk to Teresa Lindsay, because I think she probably (laughs) thinks I'm mean about that. (laughs) It's like, sometimes it's really hard. You feel like your spouse is essentially like, if you feel like you're the one getting blamed for the majority of the spending may or may not be true. But they can't put it on you like that because then you're not going to be willing to go along with this plan or contribute to this in any way. So that's part of getting on the same team is just let it go. You probably had to just let it go. Well, and and part of it too is it wasn't like I'm this saint and here I am just stacking the savings and then Lindsay's busting in the closet, grabbing it and going out and buying a bunch of shit. Like it just really wasn't, I was just there were decisions I was making too and kind of going along with this that we were really both doing these kinds of things. And for me, like it was, it was vacations, gifts for the kids and things where it was like, you can justify spending tons and tons of money on those kinds of things. It doesn't make sense when it's like, now I got to worry about, I got to wait an extra day to put gas in my car because we got to make sure we have enough. It was it worth that to buy. I would get taxed seriously. That was like, Hey, don't spend anything. (laughs) All the time. And so like, don't spend anything. So some of it was that approach in doing those things with Lynn's like, she doesn't want to sit there and look at the spread. And I don't, I mean, for most people, that's really, no, you know, I'm very thankful that he likes to do that. That's great. You and I can nerd out about all that kind of, you know, like all would sit with me and look at the spreadsheet. Yeah. From that angle, you make my actually job easier when it comes to <laughs> working with you guys on the family office and well planning side is that you do a great job. <laughs> the other thing too, that we get from working with you too, is that it's, you know your numbers and all those kinds of things. That's obviously like, it starts with that. But I think one of the things that you get really well too is that there is all this other baggage too. It's not just like, if it was just math, it would be very simple and pretty straightforward. And we probably would have had a handle on things like much earlier, but it's so much more than doing that stuff. And it's what the numbers actually mean is much more, it's not just what's on paper. And so I think having those kinds of conversations and that made us do things together. So like when I would look at things and I'd say, okay, this is what we're spending. We need to cut. Where do we cut? 
I wasn't the one making that decision. It wasn't like I just was going to assign that. And that's what I tried to do in the beginning when things didn't work. So like, for example, I would look at something and be like, okay, we spent this much on clothes. Here's how much we should be spending on clothes. And Lindsay's looking yeah, but to be your like, your son is blown through the knees of his jeans. You just make adjustments. That's fluid. You have to figure it out as you go. So there um, were things like that where it's like, I was not even in the ballpark of what was realistic. So I'm like, okay, well, then we need to find that somewhere else that's more realistic and let's talk about that. Yeah. And so that kind of yeah. led to those kind of, yeah, because for me, like, lose the cable. And we all kind of gave in places. So yeah. it was like, you yeah, know, you I'm, do have to make some sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. But again, it is fluid. We just had to adjust some things. And you get better as it goes too. That's yes. part of it. You don't just yes. go from one month to the other and like, oh, now this no. is working perfectly. Like it takes, you do a little bit better one month and then you do a little bit better the next and you might have a difficult one and you kind of talk about it and adjust. But as you get- Also around, seasons, it yeah. changed. Because we found that like in the fall, we needed to increase our clothing budget, things like that. Like going back to school or Halloween, you would spend more than in the summertime or whatever. We just learned that as we went along. When I'm- processing this entire conversation is it comes back to mindset in this, I guess, two-headed coin of emotions. The emotions that you guys felt at the beginning where there's all this anxiety and frustration and being afraid, Lindsay, to go out and buy a pair of tennis shoes or running shoes. And now all this work, you don't feel that anymore. It's the bad emotions that money brought before and now the good emotion that you have today where it's basically, and I know Mike, you're a big Dave Ramsey fan, is that freedom it gives you. Like having a plan, having savings gives you options. It gives you freedom. And that's basically, I think, what people are looking for at the end of the day. But I think what's really special about the two of you is that you've connected why we wanted to do this with the mindset of how we're going to change. And it wasn't that you created this spending plan that, Mike, you just alluded to that you were hitting all the numbers. I think it goes beyond that where it's the mindset shift. It's either, and that's where I mentioned earlier, I'm like, everybody's looking for a silver bullet here when it comes to doing this. And Mike, you said this, and I know, Lindsay, you would agree, it's not rocket science, but the key to making it all work is being on the same page with your spouse or partner and having a really good understanding of your why and what you want to do with that freedom. One of the things I talk to people about all the time is why I have Tama. And obviously, it's you guys are family to me and all of my clients become an extension of my family. And so that's always important for me is to help take care of people like you, my family, But when it comes to my own family, one of the things that I've been striving for is to give Teresa options, whether she wants to continue in her career, do something different. And that's one of the driving forces behind me and what I do and then my kids as well. And I see people, families like you guys that have the success that you have, you do because you're connected and you have a partnership, you're on the same page and you're able to make that initial mindset shift and weather the storms that come after that. Because like you guys have mentioned before, some months were better than others and you didn't fall off the rails, if you will. You kept your why in front of you and knew that there were going to be better days to come. It's just sticking with it, being consistent. We started this January, 2017, or that's the number he's at or whatever. But so yeah, that's 
we're at, <laughs> we've been doing it for this long, but we're not done yet. We'll be done before we're 40, but it's gotten so much easier as you go. So it's okay that it's not done yet because of how much better you feel as you're going along with it. One of the conversations that I wanted to come back to that we had, Mike, probably, well, if you got numbers from 17, so it was probably four years ago when we were trying to put the plan together. And it's a question that I often get with families. And I tell people this upfront, you can get most things you want in life, but what you can't have is everything. And I know Teresa probably gets sick and tired of me saying yeah, that. I would. <laughs> it's like the second truest truism I've ever heard. Other than <laughs> the days are long and the years are short with raising kids. But I like that because I think it puts things in perspective and it helps you be able to prioritize what's important to you. And I think, again, going back to what I just kind of alluded to is that you guys figured out what was important to you. Just like that step number one is figuring out, okay, where are we at financially? The next piece of that I would say is what you guys did as well is figuring out, okay, what's important to us. We don't want to live this in this debt because we feel this emotional burden on us every day. So you can get a priority. So usually like I'll draw this big circle and I probably did it for you, Mike, is I call it your pie and you slice it up and everybody's pie is different, but everybody's the same. It's the same pie, whether you make a million dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year or half a million dollars a year, everybody's got their own pie. And within that, you want to figure out what's important to you. So you start slicing it up, whether it's retirement, paying debt, college. And so one of the questions I get asked is, okay, well, what should my pie be? And I tell people, I'm not in a position to do that. I'm in a position to help you figure out what it should be and then help you get there. And why I bring that up is because you guys have had a major focus on paying down your debt versus saving more for your retirement. And that question comes up often and it comes back to understanding what it is your priorities, coming back to that pie. And your guys' pie, paying down debt was more important than saving more than you currently are saved for retirement. And while the numbers may say, no, it's better to save more or you can handle your debt differently with different options, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, I know that it makes you guys sleep better at night knowing that's your priority. And we've already developed a plan. We started laying it out. Linton, you mentioned hitting 40 here in a few years. And when everything's paid off, then that's when, bam, we get really aggressive when it comes to retirement. You hit that like you hit the debt goal. But I think it's important that people understand like when they're working with an advisor, whether it's me or whomever, is that I'm here to help guide you along and help you figure out what it is that you want to do. But it's not my job to tell you what it is that you want to do. And honestly, when we started working with you, I remember thinking that too and being like, okay, well, Paul, tell me what to, and going in and saying, okay, well, what do you think we should do with whatever? And basically you're kind of saying, hey, you you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, but it's all going to be, like you said, what's going to make you guys sleep better at night? And there's a logic to doing it in a lot of different ways. And for some people that, yeah, they may say that money that we're using to service this debt, if we were putting that away to retire, now we're making money on that. And, and so there's math kind of involved there too. But for us, we feel like 
the math is still going to be on our side. And psychologically, we needed to keep kind of winning there because if we're putting money away, but then we're also paying this off and our margins are even smaller, then we're going through this even longer. And that to us just did not, we knew ourselves and knew like, this is just not going to be sustainable. We would rather have this part done and then be able to, to start. Well, you know, we're not putting nothing away. for retirement. No. And, and that's the thing too. It's like, we're hitting know, our matches. Yeah, we're not completely leaving money on the table. I think that definitely does help too. But like you said, when we're slicing that up, there's a lot more of that that's going towards debt right now. And then as we look ahead and say, hey, in, in the next we'll year We'll be able two, to aggressively go at the retirement though as a thing right. once the debt's gone. And even doing that, we're still going to have more money to spend yeah. then than we do now because every last right. little bit that we can squeeze out, bonuses, Over all there. these different things are all going towards yeah. the debt. And so that'll be the case where, hey, if we have a bonus now, that can be used to go on a vacation or do whatever, because we're already automatically putting in X amount of money towards retirement. And that's where we kind of, you help us with those levers to do that. But psychologically for us, it's night and day. We look at retirement as we're realistic about it, but it also, like you said, you have to do that. You have to figure that out. And even if you have, even we know too, when we have everything kind of in order, we're like, okay, we have no debt. We still have to figure that out. Even just our normal spending that we budget for, we spend money on kind of nicer stuff for running and fitness and those kinds of things, because that's a big thing for us. We'll spend money to do experiences with our kids and things like that. We don't tend to spend, like, I don't spend a lot of money on work clothes. I go fairly low budget there. We do the same thing with the kids. We try to get good stuff, but we know, hey, if I'm spending three times the amount of money on clothes that they're just going to, doesn't matter if it's Nike or if it's whatever, they're going to wear holes in yeah, them they're gonna anyway. through it. And they don't care yet. Yeah, they don't care. They're young enough for the players what they're wearing. So it's things like that where we had to look at that too and say the cars that we're driving to clothes that we're like, is this us or is this like we're trying to like project this image? And at one point we were projecting this image where everything looked great and we were rolling in the dough. And then like behind closed doors, we're like, I'm a legit on it. We were not. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's when we're doing those texts of hey. Only put five dollars of gas in today. You gotta move this money so we don't bounce a check at date. Do you remember, do I just got to really quick tell you, when we lived down South, like, do you remember that Furniture Land South? Remember yes. that place? So we went there and we watched the movie on how to shop there. And then we bought ourselves a bedroom set and like a kitchen table and all this stuff. Anyway, so we bought that and then this is, we didn't have kids yet. And then I remember us, like we, of course, had just gotten Chick-fil-A and we're sitting in our living room watching something. And I don't know, I checked my account or something and I was like, Oh, crap. like my heart stopped. I was like, because it was almost like the money from Furniture Land South was going to come out and our loans were due. And we were like, <gasps> what do we do right now? <laughs> it was awful. Anyway, no more of that. <laughs> I think they're just starting to open more Chick-fil-A's up here in Detroit. So I'm worried about that because as you guys be. well know, how often would we eat at Chick-fil-A down in Carolina? We like almost every day. day. <laughs> We've done a lot of free advertising for them actually no, today. So right. Really, Hashtag Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Get us. <laughs> I'll see what we can do on that one. Perfect. Thanks. There you go. Maybe they can yeah. become a sponsor, the first sponsor of the show. There's two things I want to swing back to you on this. Is one, I think, Mike, you were talking about psychologically. And I think again, connecting it to like your why and those wins keeps you in the game. Because if I would have changed your guys' plan to something different. And it wouldn't have made you guys feel as good. The chances of you guys going oh, off the rails, with it. yeah, and sticking with it, 
we were to run into problems. So I think that's we have to feel invested in it for lack of a better term. Exactly. But yeah, no, we have to have ownership over it. The other thing I wanted to bring up is a good point is, and you mentioned this, Lindsay, is I think today, especially with social media, people want to have this persona, if you will. And historically, it's been called keeping up with the Joneses. And I think it's magnified now because of social media. And when I'm sitting down with clients, never fails. Sooner or later, they're going to ask, well, how am I doing compared to your other clients or compared to other people? We've never asked you that. No, no, you haven't. But other families do. Sorry, other clients. And so it's interesting because you had mentioned that. Did you guys ever feel like that you were trying to keep up with others from that perspective? Because the question I get is, well, I don't understand like how this family could go on this vacation and have a brand new car. And I'm way worse about that. On, And I'm like, well, it's no secret. It's either they're in debt up to their eyeballs, which you don't know about. Maybe they got an inheritance. Somebody died, unfortunately, which you may not know about. And so you don't know other people's situations. You're not in their shoes. And the only race that you can run, because I know you're a runner, both of you are runners, is to run your own race. And when you're running your own race, your chances of hitting your plan goes up exponentially. One of the books I read that made a really big difference for me is Millionaire Next Door, which I'm sure you've read. And it actually talks about, statistically speaking, most of the people you see that are doing all these things and have these real Instagrammable lives and everything, they're not doing well. And it's pretty easy. Facebook is kind of like your own marketing firm. And so it's easy to market yourself in those ways, but you really don't see kind of behind the scenes of what's going on. And if you look at statistics, most likely it's more likely that that person's struggling than they're doing well. They're just kind of projecting that. So I think for us, like that was like a big thing to kind of uncover and be like, because you do look around and it's human nature, I think really. And so you do look at, okay, well, these friends of ours did this and there's a little bit of jealousy and there's a little bit of, well, they can do it. We, yeah. we should be able to do that too. And we're not. But we don't know their, situ- their finances. Well, we don't and, know and that, that was the stuff. thing. We kind of had to grow into that. When you're younger, like that is the way you just sort of like are conditioned to feel that way. Like, hey, everybody's getting these or everybody just bought a new car. Like we should be doing that. And that's kind of part of it too, is you don't necessarily know. And so you can drive yourself nuts, like looking at everybody else and kind of trying to gauge their situation. And that doesn't help you. That was kind of part of it, I think, for us too. That wasn't something where we were just like built that way. Like we've had to sort of condition ourselves to the the point. And we still do that. Sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be awesome to do that? and not too long of a time, we'll be able to do those responsibly. But we also have experienced it the other way, where we've done things that we couldn't afford, really. And it sucked because... And we didn't enjoy Disney. Dang it. So so doing things like that, when you're going into it and you're like, this is already paid, like, do whatever you want to do. Kids want to do this, or we want to get an extra t-shirt or whatever. Like, fine, let's do that. Or we want to, let's all go out to a really nice restaurant. And we're not worried about what we're ordering. We just order whatever we want. And we get little tastes of that now. And that'll be much more so when we knock some of these things out. And yeah. We've, we've done and I got to say that does help encourage you to continue on with your plan. These little bits that you're getting, like little yeah. wins or whatever you want to call it along the way, encourages you to keep going. Just think, Lindsay, how much enjoyable the next Disney trip will be. I don't know that Mike's going to, I don't know. I don't know that we're going back there. You were so scared. I don't know that that's happening. That made a big impression. It, but, it but, was, you know, and, and that's what's interesting too, Paul. You said this. It's not, if we're writing this as a book, this is this, this happened. And then ever since then, everything, that's not how it works. And that should have been. 
Like that should have been something that, okay, the next day we're doing this and it didn't work. That definitely was part of like what made us start thinking differently and doing things differently. But it wasn't like we flipped a switch and like all of a sudden the day we got back was we started winning right from there. That wasn't the case, but it's one of those things that motivates us now. And it was just one of a few different kinds of instances. That's just the one that really stands out because it was so ironic that it was happening at the happiest Happiest place. And I mean, now you tell the story and it's like, oh, and your wife is pregnant. Oh, and (laughs) and my dad was in the hospital with his heart transplant. Oh my gosh. Like it was a mess. It was a mess, Paul. <laughs> well, whether you choose to go there or wherever your next big oh trip gosh. is, hopefully. No, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be great, more enjoyable. Maybe the, I guess, wait, there's five of you, six of us. Maybe the 11 of us can go to Disney together because Teresa is like a Disney freak. She's like a Disney <laughs> yeah, aficionado. Right. And that's what we need a guide a of guide. some sort. Yeah, she could guide us on the Disney trip for sure. And yeah. my mom, that was awful. My mom came on that trip too, and it was, she slept in a Murphy bed in our room. <laughs> it's funny because when you bring up the whole thing with Disney, it's like, I'm like looking forward to the Disney trip where Mike, like I'm not concerned about the money and there's a place I really want to stay on property and it's really, really expensive. It's not the value resort, but it's like, I've told Teresa, I'm like, I'd actually like to stay there. Someday we will stay there. Now we might not take all four kids with us. It may just be a you and me, like when we're Another 10 years when the kids are older. We do have to go at least one more time because Piper was too young to remember it. Isla wasn't born. So we'll go once more. (sighs) All right. Well, we'll touch base on that. You'll have to coordinate with Teresa for sure. Perfect. (laughs) As we come to kind of wrap up our conversation, I have a closing question. And I didn't prep you guys on this one for all of my guests. And for the most part, everybody has kids. And the question is, what is the thing that you love most about being a parent? I'm going to get two answers here. So whoever wants to go first, fire away. (laughs) The biggest thing for me is just like watching these little people kind of form. Like they're all different. I mean, you guys sure have the same thing going on. You have triplets and stuff too. And even when they're, these are kids that genetically are so similar, but their own little personality. And it's, that's been really fun. Is like kind of watching that and watching like what makes them passionate. I know my son is like super into like coding and computers and those kinds of things. One of our daughters is like very arts and crafts and like that just kind of like sets her on fire. And then our youngest is like a natural little gymnast and like watching her do that is just like, that's like her favorite thing in the world. So it's like watching all of that and kind of being a part of that and sitting back and just watching them like find these passion things. And that's been a lot of fun. I do enjoy all that. You know, I enjoy that, but I also really enjoy watching them develop their senses of humor because they're different. They're all different. Grayson can be more the sarcastic guy, which I like. Pipey is, sometimes she's just silly, but then Isla is like this quick, she's our youngest and she's got this really quick wit and will just get you out of nowhere. I love it. I like watching that happen. (laughs) Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up our conversation. I can't thank you enough, Lindsay and Mike, for the time and the conversation and for being open and laying your guys' lives, both personally and financially out there. I really appreciate it. And I think that the audience will appreciate the empathy and the generosity that you guys have displayed in this conversation. And hopefully it sparks somebody else to say, okay, I need to take that first step and not get bound up with that anxiety and fear that we've talked about. So I can't thank you guys enough. And 
I'm really looking forward to coming down to see you guys hopefully soon once everything gets reopened again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Always good catching up with you. And yeah, hopefully this can be helpful. I think for us, there's this feeling like you're alone and there's no one else could possibly be going through this and everybody else's lives are perfect. Well, and, it's embarrassing yeah, to talk. Yeah, about. we yeah. suck at this. And so it's, there's a lot more people out there that are going through that. And part of it is you just, you don't feel like it's going to get better. It gets better. And we look back now and laugh at all this stuff. And at the time we weren't laughing. Oh, it was not But funny. you can do this and it's simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple kind of at its core. So. If we could be helped to anybody, we're glad to do it. All right. Well, thank you guys again. And I'll look forward to that trip to Toledo and we'll go to Chick-fil-A. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later, Paul. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.